Good morning, everybody. My name is Larry Jacobs. This is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio on the last day of May 2023. It's May May 30th. I'm going to try to May 31st. 2023. It is the last day of May. All right. And uh, so June is tomorrow, just in case you can't figure that out. So we got a nice show for you tonight. But I've been looking forward to this when I move my head away from the microphone here for a second. I get my sheets together here. I've got a gentleman here. For, and I got to thank the, the Council of Great City Schools for putting this together for me. Ashford Hughes is here. I've never met Ashford. I'm looking forward to meeting him. He is the executive officer for diversity equity and inclusion for metro nashville public schools and he used to be the chief diversity officer for the city of nashville now he works strictly with the school district and um, we're going to find out the work he does how he does it uh, how what he hopes to accomplish and where he finds the things he needs to do okay so it's going to be a pretty interesting conversation i'm looking forward to meeting with Ashford and talking to him in just a few minutes. We're going to archive, I want to get some homework done just to remind everybody. We're going to archive the show over at ace-ed.org. That's A-C-E-E-D.org. That's the home website of our American Consortium for Equity in Education. And over there we have our magazine, which is called Equity and Access. It's an online journal. It's extremely good. By the way, everything we do over at ace-ed.org is free. Okay, please go over there and just play around, look at the magazine, et cetera, et cetera. It's all free. If you want to subscribe, you can, but that's free as well. Just fill out a little form over there. All right. A new issue will be put up either today or tomorrow up on site of our of our magazine. Okay, so I hope you check it all out. Other things over there, we're going to archive the podcast over there. You'll see the link for that. You'll see the cover of the magazine, which you click through. And also, there's an awards category. We we run the, the Excellence in Equity Awards, and nominations are now open for the 2023 Excellence in Equity Awards. And although the nomination process is free for educators, okay, a lot of companies like to be involved, and we have an early bird special for them for their pricing, gives the companies the best pricing, and that's good until June 2nd. So that's only two days away. I feel like Janet Yellen when I say that with the debt ceiling stuff going on. Okay. But the early bird period uh, for the nomination process for companies, okay, gives you the best pricing through June 2nd. It's only two days away. If you're listening to this, we had 160 nominees and over 50 winners in 2022. And we're looking to highlight even more this year. Okay. If you go over and click through on the uh, awards uh, icon, you'll find 29 categories dedicated to companies and organizations, products, leaders, along with 15 categories for educators. So feel free to jump on that, everybody. Paraprofessionals and support staff of all all roles. Uh, 20 of the categories are brand new this year, so be sure to check it all out. Again, this early bird period for best pricing for companies closes down on June 2nd, but the awards are open until August 4th. The nominations are open until August 4th. So please keep checking out what we do. Again, it's at ace-ed.org slash awards. And if you have any questions, just write us at awards at ace-ed, and we're happy to, ace-ed.org, and we're happy to answer any of your questions about this. It's really fun. Uh, we get a lot of nominations in there. We're looking for a lot more this year, and it's amazing to see how many companies and professionals in education are dealing with equity every day. All right, it's good, it's good stuff. And I guess that's a great segue to bring on 
my new best friend in the whole world, Ashford Hughes. Hi, Ashford. It's Larry here. How you doing? Hey, good morning. How you doing this morning? I'm all right. Beautiful day here in Maine. It's beautiful. You're not used to our weather up here, but you'll love it here in the summer. Okay. How's the weather today down in Nashville? Man, you know, the weather is, you know, Nashville has 18 different seasons, so you never know what it's going to be. Uh, last week it was in the low 50s. Today the high is going to be 85 today. So Good enough. So we're towards a little bit of humidity today. <laughs> and Music City it is, and it is a great town. i got to tell you, it's a lot of fun to go down there. Are you, an, are you a uh, Nashville native? I am not a Nashville native. I'm originally two and a half hours East of Nashville, Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm from oh. the real UT University of Tennessee <laughs> section of the city state. There you go, and I know Knoxville as well. It's a pretty good place. I got to tell you. So a Tennessee man all the way, and you were the former chief diversity officer of, of chief diversity equity inclusion officer for the city of Nashville. That was through the office of the mayor. Okay, and now you're doing the same thing for the school district, correct? Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. And it was a natural progression for me to want to continue to stay in purpose. But even myself, as I was doing a lot of work mentoring and leading up programs in the community, this was just a natural transition to really harness in on how do we cultivate the city that we want to have. And it starts with our young people. It sure does, i got to tell you. And i got to ask you this, you know, I, I hate to say this, but it's true. But this is the same for any school district. <clears throat> The national public schools, like the city, are, are bureaucracies. Okay, uh, what's the difference as you work with the city, as you and now you work with the schools? Do you see a difference between running diversity, equity, and inclusion? It, the, the difference between the two, the city versus just the, the schools. I'm curious. The, the, the different intricate differences. One of the things that's the same is that just like in political, when you have someone that is elected, you have a short timeline with superintendents. You know, the timeline for superintendents uh, staying long is five to six years max, right? So you still have a timeline to get things done, right? The big mm -hmm. difference that, that I've uh, from the city to the school is that the city, in city government, politics is like you're uber-focused on voter, voters. What are you doing to connect with this voter engagement group to make certain that you're following back up with them? And it's all about what am I doing to make certain that the constituents understand how we're doing things, and it's about, hey, how are we connecting ourselves for the next four years? And public education, because the board is different than the uh, legislative body that we have at the city, the board doesn't act in the same way. So it gives you a little more sense of time that you have to build things together. It's a different relationship, whereas at the city, man, it is 100. And now, I will say now, in public education, it's become very much more political. But in my time oh, yeah. in the mayor's office, there was so much going on. We had mayoral changes. We had federal policies that were coming down, and it was just uh, drinking out of a fire hose everyday politics about getting things done for the city. Wow, politics, politics, <clears throat> politics. I guess. you know, I have to ask you. Do you know my friend Hassan David Davis down there? Do you know Hassan? That that, that name sounds familiar. I have to see a face. Yeah, I, obviously I can't show you. That's great. If you guys don't know each other, he's a Tennessean. Okay, he works a lot with equity and social justice and all that sort of stuff. He's a good friend of mine down there. Okay, his wife is named Dreama Gentry. She used to work at Berea College down there. Okay, and I just thought maybe you guys knew each other. If not, you should. I'll introduce you today. 
Okay, I think you'll enjoy each other because you. Yeah, you're 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 both kind of in the same line of work, if I may. Okay, so okay. I, I think you're going. Yeah, I think you're going to really like this. You know, I have to ask you, and I hate to bring up something bad so early in the day. Okay, but I, I if I'm remembering correctly, uh, being a northerner, I think I'm right that Nashville had that school shooting a few months ago. Am I correct? Did you guys have that private yeah. school shooting? Was that? Yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought it, yeah, I thought it might have been Memphis. Okay, I was thinking of the two cities, but uh, it was Nashville. I, that shook everybody up. It's horrifying. I didn't have to get into those crazy details. Okay, but I would imagine uh, being a, a, a school district officer, how how did that affect things down there? I mean, it's, it's just horrifying. I hate that even talk about it, but I'm curious from somebody on the inside down there in the district, how'd you guys look at that? I mean, so as a, you know, not only as a district, so just like yeah. myself, I'm a father of two small kids, yeah. you know, fourth grade yeah. and one preschooler. Many of the educators, many of the leaders are fathers and mothers as well, so it shook you personally, right, because we yeah. live in shook, this space. shook us personally, personally up here. My kids are grown Okay, I live in Maine, and it shook us up, too. It shakes everybody up. You're not alone, which is good. So, so okay. you always have this in the back of your mind. Oh, that'll never happen yeah. to us. That's that other place, right? So when it happens to you, first should by, do we have the systems in place to address it? What does it mean? How do we have communication? Because, you know, families from all over the place were calling. Even though it wasn't a metro public school, it still was in proximity right. to right. our it was school. private school. So we yeah. have 10 buses. So, you know, families are calling in. So, you know, everybody, even at the support of the central office, we're like, okay, so what do we do? How do we help? Schools are calling out, hey, what do we do? Like, everybody's scared. We're getting frantic calls. Yeah. So it kind yeah. of shook everybody. Yeah. Uh, did, you guys, did you stay and, open that day? Did the schools stay open that day, or did they close them down just to be safe or something? I don't know. We, we did stay open that day. The majority of the schools right. in the area of where the school shooting took place were on lockdown until the police yeah. did that lockdown. But because we already had a strong focus on social-emotional learning for students, we had time out so that students uh, could talk with counselors. Counselors came in working with teachers to have conversations, to let everybody know what was going on. We had grief counselors for the rest of the weeks at school. And really, as a school community, we worked with principals and leaders in the building here at the Support Hub to make certain they had everything they needed to have these conversations. We partnered with entities and nonprofits in the larger community to be able to come in and work with our educators, right? Because not only was it about student social emotional learning, but if you're a teacher and you had that happen, oh, right? Like how absolutely. So they can't just go back and teach math, right? Uh, absolutely. So, absolutely. And sometimes we forget that part of it, okay? It affects everybody. And it's so horrifying. Absolutely. And and I got to tell you, I put your mind at ease a little bit about this. And if you really look at I, I can't, I, <clears throat> again, I don't like talking about this per se, but if you look at the history of school shootings, like like we know, there has never been one, thank God, and I hope this continues, in an urban school district. A big city school district has never been hit by this, okay? Yep. Suburbs, rural, et cetera, it's, and private, okay? It is, it's, it's, it's a very interesting statistic that a lot of people don't realize, Okay, this is happening not to urban schools, and I find that uh, that to be a fascinating statistic. Okay, and thought as, as you as you look through it, you know, it's just incredible. 
Okay, I, I'm sorry for this whole city down there, and of course we no. all know what happened to the legislators. Okay, that crazy story with the state legislature. Okay, getting getting, getting injecting those three people and then bringing them back. My lord, how crazy was that? Okay, I got to tell you, I even, but, it was crazy is the word. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'll tell you one of the that, best things that if there was anything positive that, that came out of this, right, when you think about all that took place, we had high schools that went to the state capitol the next couple of days and, and yeah. held protests, you know, led by them. We kids. even had students in middle school and elementary school that wanted to know more about why are guns so prevalent, like why are guns in school? And they were asking questions, am I going to be safe, right? So we had those conversations because students wanted to know they were leading these conversations, and that helped us to really authenticate for our educators what student voice looks like, right? That's exactly Let's help right. Them and make better decisions. But they were all like, I don't want this. We don't want guns around. I want my friends and I to be safe. So it sparked that conversation that students can lead the way and hopefully speak into legislators to make the change, yeah. right? And I'll, I'll say one other word, that all students can lead the way. All students yes. can lead the way. It's every kid that out there that that is capable of thinking about. It, okay, and I, I don't understand some. I I won't pick on Tennessee. You're down there, but uh, you know I don't understand why the state legislators in every state don't listen more carefully to this. Okay, and we'll we'll see what happens in that. But I, you guys handled that well. It was a horrible tragedy, and I feel so bad for the families and for the whole city. You know, it's just terrible all, all the all the way around. And I'm glad you guys. Got through it all right. And how'd you get, I got to ask you, Ashford, how'd you get into the business of diversity, equity, and inclusion? You did it for the mayor. Now you're doing it for the school district. How'd you, how'd you wind up in this business? So, so, so really, <laughs> yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So, so it really even starts before working in community, working in this space was called diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? So my background has always been in public administration. It has been in community organizing. And naturally, when you organize, I've worked in seven, seven different southern states organizing community wow. around specific issues, around particular wow. campaigns. I, in Tennessee, I've developed and organized community groups that have spawned to be still alive today and powerful groups advocating at the public uh, platform. So it was a natural flow, and I've also had an experience in labor organizing. So all of the work that I was doing in labor organizing and community organizing was about building relationships, was about putting systems in order, was about putting strategies together so that those that had been marginalized had access and opportunity to excel. They had the resources they needed. I worked with an organization here, and we passed a local referendum about local hire policies to make certain that all the money that was coming into Nashville was slated to also touch the local residents, those that were indigenous to doing the work, right? So it was a natural flow for me to then say, once it, once it got a name to it, diversity, equity, and inclusion, yeah. it was work yeah. that was already natural to me because this work is really about building community, having an understanding of history, how we got here, talking and centering the lives of those that have been marginalized and finding ways and access to give them what they need to excel and to have an enhanced quality of life. 
Good for you. And well said, my friend. I got to tell you. So now you're in the schools. And I, I got to ask you what I, I don't know the demographics of the the demographics of Nashville public schools. Uh, could you have those uh, statistics, whatever they might be? Okay. On yeah, the, I'm so sure I, you do at your fingertips. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I say this, and then in, in relation to the larger uh, Nashville population. So our school district, we have roughly around 82,000 students. Uh, 70% of our students are students of color. So 40% of our students are African-American. 30% of our students are Hispanic, uh, Kurdish. So we have uh, the largest Kurd population in the country here. Really? I didn't Uh, know that. Wow. Yep, yep. Second largest Somali population in the country. We have – Yeah, go ahead. You know, I think the biggest is in Maine. It's either in Maine or in Minnesota. They're one or the other, and if you could explain that to me, how they get to, to, to get such cold weather. I'll, they chose such cold weather. I'll, I'll I try to figure that out, but, but continue. Please, I don't know about the Kurdish population. Uh, That's really something. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah we, we have 142 different languages spoken in our schools. Wow. We have 42 different countries of origin in our schools, right? Uh, so we have a small Asian American population, and the rest of the 30 percent, 28 to 30 percent of our population are uh, Caucasian white students and families. At the largest wow. end, nice I would mix. say, within our population of educators, we have roughly around 68, 70 percent of our educators are, are white. Uh, the rest of our educators are African American. A very, very small amount of Latino, Kurd uh, population of, of educators. At the city proper, we have around 25% of our population is African-American, uh, roughly around huh. 10 to 12% uh, Hispanic, a Latino, and the rest of our population is, is white. So our school district, like we have an urban majority, and I hate to say majority minority, but we have a majority yeah, black sure. or brown school district. And what, what percentage, I'm curious, I, I, I mean, you might have said this, I got lost on the numbers, are, is, is African-American? I know there's students of uh, color, but uh, but that African American in particular, I'm curious. Close to forty percent. Close to forty percent. It's interesting because twenty five percent you said of the city, okay, twenty five percent is African American, but forty percent of the kids, obviously, mom and dad are having more kids <laughs> yep. than they do. Okay, make perfect sense. Okay, it's just so with those great numbers, okay, and you're the DEI director. All right. What are, what are you trying to accomplish? What, what's your goal? And I'll, I'll throw like out there. Are you trying to get more teachers of color in there? Is that the goal? Are you trying to make sure that, the, the, this is probably going to answer all of them, okay, that the schools in the, in the poorer areas, if I may, are equal to the ones in the better off areas? What, what, as DEI director, what are, you, what are your goals? What are you trying to do? Man, so there's many places that we could start, but where we wanted to start yeah. first, we wanted to make certain that we were uh, identifying, like, what, again, what were we trying to solve for? So we began looking at data. So we are really looking at how do we address the achievement and opportunity gap between our first population. Yeah. So really disaggregating that data, right? Then we're looking at racialized inequity. What are the elements of student difference that cause this inequity, Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we began to address and look at, like, deficit-based teaching and instruction. What are we doing to make certain that our educators are aware of the different cultures, the asset base of those cultures, the things that make those cultures 
how do we include those in the curriculum and instruction piece, right? Then we began to look at, like, systems, processes, and resources that haven't centered families and students of color, right, students with disability, economically yep. marginalized. And really the main thing that my team now in this, uh, I'm going on my third year in this role now. We've uh, congrats, past, great. Uh, um, implementing our equity roadmap. We're really looking at educator and leadership mindset and the practices, right, that they're instituting on a daily basis to be able to value and understand students' culture and their identities and how that factors into student learning and processes, right? Uh, so we have what our theory of action, theory of action, right, change in action, what we call, right? So we look at if we reimagine the system, again, by centering the lives of those marginalized students, right, not just prioritizing the loudest voices but prioritizing those that have been least served. Once we begin to communicate transparently, because as you know in anything, Communication is key, how you communicate, when you communicate, where you communicate. If we continue to create a sense of belonging for all students, right, for each and every student, for each and every family, and when we develop inclusive, culturally responsive leaders, very important with that yeah. demographic, like yeah. Yeah. 70% black or brown student, but it's the exact opposite for our teachers. And sometimes our <laughs> teacher prep That's programs right. haven't prepared our educators beyond the generic student, beyond the social constraints. Oh, that's everywhere. That's students. everywhere. That's everywhere. It's, it's crazy. Yep. Yeah. They've got to do something. Yeah. Go ahead. Keep going. I'm just agreeing with you. So, so, yeah. so just looking at how do we take those things that we're trying to solve for, how do we put those beyond the theory of action, and what can we do over time? What can we do to build awareness, build understanding, but not stay there forever, but then to internalize that, then to integrate that into the work that we're doing every day. Really, again, focused on developing leaders, right, along a continuum of change to be more cognizant of the reality that many of our students are facing, understanding who our students are, but then also looking at how do we influence systems. I also supervise our school choice office. So how do we ensure oh. that families have to all of our schools around the district, right? How do we make certain that our institutions, that our processes are more liberated to support different families that are coming from different backgrounds? And all that to say, we also are a city that is drastically gentrifying families. Because of the growth and development of the city, many of our families that once lived in the community six months ago are now being turned to the city or in other areas of the city. So that breaks up wow. continuity. Wow. So how do we continue to have this understanding of what's going on in the community that comes into our schools to really give our students what they need, the best education they deserve in a safe environment? Yeah, I'm from Philadelphia. It reminded me of everything. I, I, I grew up in Philly. And, uh, you know, all those things you said reminded me of when I went to the, the school and some of the same things are happening. The traditional neighborhoods are becoming gentrified. Where do those people go? Okay, yep. that kind of thing, and who's handling them? It's really, it's really come. Uh, great questions. I will ask you. I, I just want to break it down a little bit, okay, with you. And I, I want to start with the need for culturally responsive education, which I think is very, very important. I do agree with you that I don't think enough of the uh, college uh, teacher prep programs are dealing with this like they should be. They really got to devote a lot more time to it. So let me ask, how are you guys moving to accomplish this? And I know you can't accomplish it overnight, 
Okay, but how do you make? Yep. Uh, you know, you know, there's cultural differences. That's simple. All right, it's not the people yeah. are mean spirited or anything. They just don't understand. All right, so how do you get that to happen? What are you doing regarding that? Let's just start there. So first, one of the things that we're doing, we recognize that one professional development is not going to change a mindset, right? <laughs> but we <You're> <laughs> we put in the place series of development, right? Series of culturally responsive development, understanding, uh, just like Gloria Ladson Billis has said, focusing on student learning and academic success, developing students' cultural competence to assist them in developing positive ethnic and social identities and supporting students' critical consciousness uh, or their ability to recognize and critique social inequities, and also working with our educators on that. So last summer, we took all of our certified teaching staff to two specific uh, required trainings. Uh, they were three wow. hours live and then three hours online around the foundational elements of diversity, equity, and inclusion, understanding what implicit bias means. We all have those elements of implicit bias, but how do yes, we show up to remedy that, right? Then we also took our educators through uh, social-emotional learning foundational training to make sure that everybody yeah. had the base level of understanding around both of these. Now, what we're working on now is phase two, really dealing with that cultural competence piece, and we're going at it. So we have 132 schools. Each school has a uh, instructional leadership team, and we work with those teams to kind of build capacities where me and my team don't, don't always have to come in and sprinkle equity around, but the teams <laughs> within those school buildings are prone and ready and have the tools and the skills to hold these conversations. So we have our training this summer, DEI 2.0, Cultural Competency, and we're going to be working with all of our certified staff again as well as these instructional leadership teams to really draw out what the commitments look like. What do we need to be looking for when we're culturally competent? What are some of the learnings that we have to do in order to become more culturally competent? One of the big things my team is focused on, or how do we create spaces this summer where teachers and educators can go on tours with us in the community? How do we go out? Oh, that, that would be great. That would be great. I love that idea. What's going on? Yep, yep. Because you can't, like, I want us to get to the place idea. where – Educators don't believe themselves just to be educators in the brick and mortar, but you are a, a community leader. So the community is outside of the school building as well. So taking them on tours to understand what the community was, what it's gone through, and how it's been. So we're working mm -hmm. at every phase from our MTSS to our certified training this summer to have these culturally competent conversations and then to also infuse that in what the school improvement plans look like. How are you taking some of these strategies and infusing them in your work? How can we help support you over a period of time? Uh, so we have these baked into our professional development. Uh, we're That's trying good. to bake them in as now cultivate measures of success and what those measures of success look like. Uh, so we are really honing in on learning. We're going to be working with a couple of national organizations to help some of our leadership go through these, so we know. Are, how you, going to work, are, you, are you going to work with the Council of Great City Schools on this? Is that what oh, you mean? Oh, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, Council they're great. Of great City Schools is great. We work with them. Yeah. So, at every of the last convenings they have, they've been fortunate enough to ask me to come out and present some topics on equity because Excellent. they wanted that to be a topic at every conversation. Absolutely. So I present 
at all their uh, conferences. Uh, they have helped me. I'm a part of a uh, equity leadership cohort. We have communication. We hear from leaders across the country, so I can take that information back here. We're going to be working with, and I currently work with the uh, National Equity Alliance, working with things that they have working on. We're a part of a Harvard ed Education Redesign uh, program right now. So we're working with national leaders, looking at data, trying to make certain that we bring this education experience back to our leaders. The important thing for me that you're always going to hear me say, I may think I'm smart, but I don't know it all, right? So every process that we go through, I make certain that my team and I, we include teachers, we include executive principals, we include other leaders throughout the district to help co-design the work with us because we know that each school has a different community in a different field. But if we don't include them in the process, it's tough to get by in. Absolutely. you got to understand it. You know, you got to understand your customers. It's that simple. You don't believe me, just ask Walmart. Okay, that's what they do. They got to understand yep. their customers and everybody gets better. And I hate to break it down like that, but we sometimes forget the community is our customers, okay, when we're yep. in education. And I just think it's great. You know, all those things are wonderful. I, I must ask, I always love to ask this question. So what kind of um, reaction are you getting from uh, from the folks in the school district? When you when you come up with these great ideas, and I, I'll say it again, people are not mean-spirited about this. They want stuff to work. Okay, but people always start to feel they get defensive. Okay, you know, oh, I'm not, I'm not a racist. I'm not a bigot. Why are you doing this? Well, we know that. Okay, that you're not that way. Not you. That the generic you isn't that way. But you've got to learn the community. So how do they? What's the reaction you're hearing from everybody? This is great stuff, by the way. So, so over the last year and a half, so it's been a, a multitude of reactions. So we have a lot of people that are like gung-ho, ready to go forward, like, <laughs> hey, tell me what more can I do? There are some people that are in the aha phase. I didn't know that. I need to learn yeah. more. And you have some that are still like, well, I'm not sure this is for me. I'm a math teacher. I'm a science teacher, right? What does that mean? <laughs> uh, no one has blatantly come out and said, I don't want to do this, right? So really what, it, what, what happens, it's upon me and my team to articulate to everybody where you fit into this equity roadmap that we created, what you can do. What does it mean for you to be a science teacher that is driven by equity principles, equity practices to get right. the most out of your students, right? So that's where that's we right. are now, kind of communicating to everybody where they are. I think for the most part, as you said, people want to be involved in it. Of course. But education don't want to do is like, okay, you, you're giving me five other things I have to focus on on top of the right. six other things that my supervisor gave me. So they don't want to feel as though you're adding on to something. So we try to communicate and make it known that we're not adding on. We're enhancing all the programs and platforms that we already have. We want you to look at everything through a particular lens, look through a particular filter by which you're saying, did I include all of the key staff in this communication, in this strategy? Have we reached out to all the families? How did we engage them in this understanding? What are the platforms that we need to connect with our families on? So we try to get them to think that it's not something extra that we're adding. We're enhancing right. to the platform programs that are already in place. And I, I got to tell you, even if it is something extra, okay, I have to say this. Times change. Things change, especially with the pandemic, okay? And then you had, like, I'll just use that, that uh, that that uh, keystone, the, the killing of George Floyd, 
okay? You had yep. that during the pandemic, okay? Things change, all right? And we may have to add on something because times change. It's that simple. It's going to be like, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, AI is coming. We all know that, okay? Well, you can hide yep. your head and say that pretend it doesn't exist, but I've got big news for everybody. It exists. And if we don't understand it, Okay, especially in education, if you ask me, we're going to really screw ourselves over. So we got things change. Okay, and I think a a professional educator understands that. Okay, and we have to make sure that they understand it. I I have to ask you this, and you brought this up before, and this is a big problem, challenge, I should say problem, challenge across the country. Okay, you got a 70 percent people of color school district. Yet 70% of the educators are, are, are not people of color, if I may. All right? And yep. that, that's, that, that creates one of the challenges, which can be fun. But you got to figure out a way to do it. But one of the nice ways to do it is to find more teachers of color. That is not easy. I, I still can't figure out why more people who are of color do not get involved in education. How are we doing on that? And have you talked to the local uh, teacher colleges down there and said, hey, how do we make this happen? Okay, what's what's going on with that? From your point so of view, a couple of things that you brought yeah, up in go. there. Um, so first, uh, when you think about teacher education, so there's a couple of books that are out right now that we're going to be taking people on study groups for, but really important. One is called Jim Crow's Pink Slip. Uh, it's called ah, Jim Crow. Oh, Pink wow. Slip, I've never untold, heard of that one. Oh man. Yep. Yep. Yeah, wow. The Untold Story of Black Principals and Teacher Leaders. And then there's a, another book called, um, it's called Learning in a Burning Building, uh, written by wow. Sonia Douglas. And it really talks about Brown via the Board of Education, that, that, that ruling, and what happened after that. We lost hundreds oh, of yeah. thousands of schools and black we sure did. at the time, right? Talk so about, talk about forward, unintended consequences of something. Talk yes. about unintended. Yes. It was meant to do well, and it did. It did do a lot of good. Okay, but it, well, I guess it did a lot of good. It changed our mindset, but it it, it hurt. It hurt as well. There was all an unintended. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's something that no, no. It, yeah. it definitely had a massive unintended consequence, or some oh, might man. say intended consequence. Of yeah, they might be like principals <laughs> or yeah. teachers, right? So you fast forward to this. To today, right? And you think about the average salary of a teacher. You think about now when I talked early on about the politics of the city versus the politics of school and education. Well, you can just flip that now. Education has been politicized at the probably one of the highest times since Brown via the Board of Education, right? Oh yeah, With, uh, yeah. The banning of books, the banning of history, uh, Moms for Liberty, all these other things that are going on. So now, for any teacher, particularly African-American teacher, what is the incentive for coming in here in this heightened political environment with the salary when you already know data is showing us that an African-American with a college degree still makes less than a a white male applicant with a high school diploma, right? So when you think about protecting your family, uh, making sure that your family has enough food, uh, shelter, all those things to survive, you know, many uh, individuals we talk to don't feel like this is a industry, doesn't feel like this is a profession that can help them provide for their family, right? So to your yeah. point, yeah. 
Yes, we work with all of our teacher prep programs within our region, Belmont University, Tennessee State University. We work with them to figure out, like, what are you doing and how can we help be supportive of diversifying the teacher and the talent pool? So here within Nashville, we have four historically black colleges and universities, uh, one of which has a strong traditional teacher prep program, which is Tennessee State University. Fisk University uh, is also another historic HBCU. We work with them in trying to grow their program. But even at Tennessee State University, the majority of applicants coming out of Tennessee State University's teacher prep program are white women. Uh, So we figure out ways in which how can we, from a school level, like how do we start to plant the seeds in students at an early age while they're in our schools that the teaching profession is one that they should be a part of, right? So with many of the organizations that I'm a part of and some of the work that we're doing in our schools, it's called Grow Your Own. So we have a process by which we're trying to get ninth graders and 10th graders engaged in wanting to become teachers, to go down that track. But it's been a hard push at the city level and even recruitment because everybody in the country, particularly here in the South, are recruiting, trying to recruit African-American, Hispanic, Kurd teachers, to the classroom, and the pool is just not there right now, but we are still actively seeking and, and looking at different ways to be creative in order to diversify the classroom. I mean, we got we got to do this, and, you know, you're, you're right. Most of the people coming out into education are, in fact, white, okay? So we got to do cultural training, okay? And on that note, as you – this is interesting. As you talk to those – uh, those colleges in, in teacher prep around your uh, around your neighborhood in Nashville, okay, are they culturally preparing the kids to go the, the, those students, the future teachers, to go into Nashville type schools, or, or is it just the think, same old same old? I think we are actively pushing each other to work better in that space. I'll say that I think there's still some work that we have to do. Just to be honest. But I think yeah. the more that we can show them why this is important, right? I always go back to what is the why behind this, to show them that if we want sustainable teachers in our program, we have to prepare the teachers that are coming out of the uh, classroom yeah, for the students that they will face, right? And the students yeah, that they're going to face, they come in Nashville, are going to be 70% black or brown. And that isn't to say that every black or brown student of color is poor or in a bad neighborhood, but it is saying is these are some of the experience that you will come into. How can you understand history and culture, and not just history and culture of our diverse populations, understand your own culture and history. Like what does that look like and how you show up every day? So many of the programs that we work with now are starting to identify, okay, how can we connect with what Nashville needs? That's the conversation we've been having with our teacher prep programs we know that this is where you have historically been at, but this is what we need as MNPS if you're sending them to our schools. This is the experience they're going to have with our students if they come into MNPS. So how do we work on the front end of what you're doing to at least have understanding, empathy in this track so as they're not just blindsided and it was like, well, I wasn't prepared. That's this, right. right. That's a great point. That is, that is a great, but I'm curious how many of the professors, okay, at the colleges, again, not to pick on them, it's just the same for everywhere, you know, went through an urban education system, okay, and can tell the people what's coming down the pike. It's different, 
Okay, if you're used to a suburban district, an urban district is different. The kids are different. That's all there is to it. Okay, and you got to be prepared. All right, it's, 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 this is so. Yeah, it, it's just it's just so it's so interesting the way you're approaching all this, and I think you're doing a great job. I got to tell you. Okay, is school over now? Are, are we done for the summer? Man, school is over. Ended last <laughs> Thursday. Uh, there was a lot of celebrations, you know, from the educators. A lot of celebrations from families. You know, families are excited that their yeah. kids transitioned to higher grades or graduated. Uh, I spoke at a couple of the graduation ceremonies for you know passing on to oh, eighth, ninth grade, or other things. So it's a good time, right? And even yeah. in with all the stuff that's going on, when you think about really what kid and what school is supposed to be about, right? The aspiration that what I have for my kids is, man, I want them to be happy, experience joy, learn something about themselves, learn something about their peers, learn something that would not only help them to get a a sustainable career, but learn something that's going to help them be quality individuals. And I think at the end of the school year, we take time to reflect upon that. One thing that I champion with my team is that we need to spend time in reflection. We don't need to spend every day of the week, but we need to have some time that we can reflect upon what are we doing. Are we doing what's right? Have, are we doing what's right based off of what parents and students need? So now is a great time for reflection, a great time for, for ceremony yeah. and happiness of families. But, you know, for us that are 12-month employees that are really grinding the wheels, now is the time that we can plan and strategize and really have those conversations with teachers to get their input on what's going on so we can continue to make processes and procedures better. I couldn't agree with you more. I'll, I'll leave this. I'll leave you with the words I always say. You've got to approach kids, I don't care where they are, with a rigorous curriculum. Kids are sponges. Yep. Okay, they yep. want to learn. And sometimes you go in with the preconceived notion that they don't want to learn. Okay, they do. And they, they want to be tested. Okay, they want to be pushed. Okay, and the more rigorous your curriculum, the better they're going to be. Okay, and the happier Absolutely. every teacher is going to be. It's that simple. Okay, it's like getting rid of these preconceived notions and all this. Ashford, this was great. We'll do more together. I'll stay in touch. How's that sound? Absolutely, man. Looking forward to it. Thank you for uh, having me on this day. Oh, uh, looking pleasure. forward to one day coming to Maine. I hope you do get up there. Tell me when you're coming. I'll bring. I'll buy you a lobster. We'll have dinner. Okay. Awesome. Sounds Thank good. You. And I'm going to introduce you. I'm going to introduce you to Hassan Davis. Okay, he's a great okay. guy. You guys will like each other. Believe me, you guys will like each other. Okay, you're in the same business. All right. Have a great day now. You too. Thanks, Ashford. Bye bye. Hey, everybody, that was Ashford Hughes. Ashford, cool guy, I got to tell you. Okay, he's the director of DEI, diversity, equity, okay, and, and inclusion. I lost the word for a second. Uh, at Metro Nashville Public Schools, and he's doing good work. Okay, this is everywhere. Okay, you got to have teachers who understand the kids they're teaching. That's basically what it boils down to. Okay, we're going to archive the show at ace-ed.org, and over there you'll find information not only about everything we do, but soon to be, if not today, a brand new issue of uh, Equity and Access Journal, which is up on site, all right, as well as the nominations for the Equity Awards, which I hope you participate in. My name is Larry Jacobs. This is Free K-12 Education Talk Radio. Thanks for listening.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.